Hello, and welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nomad Neeks, and this podcast is the place to be if you are looking to start creating a lifestyle that you love. From business, entrepreneurship, travel, starting and sustaining a digital nomad lifestyle, and of course, making money online and investing, we talk about all of it here. So let's dive into it. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. In today's interview episode, I sit down with Neil Twa, and this is a discussion you are not going to want to miss. Neil is the co-founder and CEO of Voltage Digital Marketing. He has been launching, operating, and growing private label e-commerce businesses for the last nine plus years. And as of today, he and his clients have sold over 100 million in physical products, primarily through Amazon. Neil is a passionate entrepreneur who believes that anyone can be successful with Amazon private label if they have the right guidance and the right tools. In this episode, he shares his blueprint for building a successful online business that can generate a passive, almost automated six-figure income in just 12 to 18 months. And Neil also speaks about his approach, which is very unique in the sense that he offers a pay-as-you-profit skin-in-the-game model of consulting and performance. This means that you only pay Neil when you start making money, which is a really interesting business model we're going to dive into and a great way to mitigate risk that can ensure you're getting most out of Neil's expertise and coaching. If you are thinking about going into the Amazon e-com online virtual selling space, this is absolutely the episode that you need to listen to. Neil is an expert for almost a decade in this industry. So without that, let's dive right in to it. Neil, I am so excited to have you on the show today and to talk about online business, one of my favorite topics, but in a different lens than what I know and what my business is. So Neil, share a little bit about who you are and what you do and what you have built. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. This is a fun topic for me because I used to travel for business, which was not as fun. Kind of fun when it started out, but then when I was about 100 days a year on average, and in one year I was over 200 days for business, it wasn't so much fun because I wasn't as, you know, able to choose the locations as much as they were choosing me. And so that wasn't as fun, but now I can travel for fun and, and still do my business anywhere on the road. So the kinds of things we want to talk about today are what I call lifestyle as a business, which is kind of folks typically want to do things or work through things in life. And I did in the past too, to try to gain the business required, if you will, to give them the opportunity to have the lifestyle. What I understand now very differently on the other side of this is that it really has a lot to do with your mindset, your limiting beliefs or your belief in abundance and the you know differences in those, which we can kind of unpack a little of that today. And as where you choose to choose, go after a lifestyle and then look for a business, a model or a mechanism that will allow you to keep, attain or grow that lifestyle into a business that circumvents your goals and grows. And I think you understand that from, from where you're sitting now and traveling around and doing that, it probably makes sense to you, maybe for some of the people who are listening and we can kind of double click on that today and get a little more detailed into what that means for me and for the business of what we do. I didn't start out that way. So quick, quick history, like with that machine, I, you know, got involved in the internet when it was very young, when it was the dial up days, my friend had a computer, we were too poor to have one. So I would go over to his house and he was on CompuServe and we were, you know, on the, on the net at that point in the, in the non visual world. It was just green screens, black and white, you know, forums, this kind of stuff. Watched that evolve, you know, into my teens and realized, you know, there's an opportunity there. 
somewhere in my future to do something like that. But really, I was bent on going to be a fighter pilot. I was headed for the Air Force. I School for me was just the thing I had to finish so that I could go to flight training school. And I wanted to go be a fighter pilot. When I got turned down for that, life had to change dramatically to a new whatever. And so my fallback position was to quickly and frantically in the, in the, in the latter part of my senior year, start applying for a grant research, anything I could get to to get the education and go, okay, I'm going to go the education route because now I can't go to the flight school. I was literally too big to carpet and get on the fighter plane. They took one look at me and they said, nah, man, you're, you can fly the planes. We might put you in a helicopter, but you're never going to get in the fighter pilot seat. And I'm like, well, dang, I just, that crushed my hopes and dreams. So let's go do something else. So I went to school, I went to college. I had enough experience in, in music at that point that I got a nearly full ride music scholarship. Uh, I played classical and jazz trumpet and I played marching band and classic and the jazz band. And so I had a experience to do that to most of my education paid for, but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just went to college to kind of spend some time. So I failed down twice. After the second time I failed down and reapplied, they let me in by who knows what grace of God. And so I stayed there for a little while longer while I just kicked rocks down the road. Eventually figured out that with the internet moving and things shifting so fast, I'm not that old, but the internet has changed so much so fast that at that point, you know, business was starting to kick up and computers were coming online and the first computer room, if you will, and lab in the university was online and these new things were happening and everybody takes out as, you know, a normal part of education today. But for us, that was all brand new. They literally cleared up a room that used to store stuff in and they started putting computers and desks in it. They call it the computer lab. So that was kind of weird, right? And so as that grew, like there's a lot to do with this, but nobody really knew how to take advantage of it. Academia was really new and they were just spending money for mostly internal university purposes. And computers were super expensive to get involved. So most people didn't have one. But I knew there was opportunity. So I ended up jumping out, going the corporate route, kind of teaching myself along the way, figuring out very quickly that it's who you know that gets you in. It's what you know that keeps you there. So some nights I was learning to do my job in the evenings and late to night so that I wouldn't get fired from the job that I was hired for. But I learned a lot on the fly. Because of that, I had an opportunity to become an employee after a contracting at Sprint, a little contracting gig up in Kansas City. They were doing kind of an all internal call to form a new division that was going to launch mobile phones, Sprint PCS from the first mobile phone launch within Sprint. And so I got to be a part of that early adoption team. I got to be part of the team that helped develop all the knowledge, information, and systems that allowed the reps and the business people to do their job and take phone calls. And there's about 2,500 of those people that got hired of the 5,000 people. The other 2,500 were business people. And I was one of them who was hired to take this to mark. By the time I left Sprint, I was hired away from Sprint by IBM. There were 80,000 employees and 25,000 people taking calls. So it was a massive hyper growth situation watching the mobile industry blow up from the inside. I used to joke you could pull the plug on one side, one place inside of Sprint and the whole network would go down. I mean, it was duct tape, billing, wire, warm bodies and just mass craziness. But IBM picked me up and said, hey, come out and do more of that with us. So I spent almost five years with IBM, traveling the globe, doing business projects, still no degree, but learning as I went along and just, again, no and good at relationship and business building, good at the job that they gave for that. So I obviously did well, but realized in 2007 that that was going to change dramatically and jumped into my own business uh, instead of being moved to Argentina. So my division was going to be moved to Argentina or I was going to find a new position. And I said, well, that's my opportunity. It's time to get out. Married in the same year, left IBM in the same year, found out we were pregnant with our first baby in the same year. And my wife went on bed rest in the same year. So I'm in the span of about a year, my entire life flipped upside down to a new business, a new wife, a new baby on the way, and no income. So when people tell you that there's a wrong time to start a business or a wrong time to start a business, what they actually just mean is I don't know if it's going to turn out like my story if they start a business. 
and you're going to run into all these problems. But in actuality, it just proves that there's never a right time to start a business because you never know what's on the other side of it. You just need to take that risk, build a fear of doing it in place. And, you know, 15 plus years now out on my own, multiple companies, growth, I learned digital marketing as it was growing up for lead and acquisition strategies that helped raise Series A funding for some of the companies I was involved in in business dealings. Had the unfortunate experience of going bankrupt for business strategy purposes because a very bad business deal went very south, very far. So then I had to rebuild myself back to what am I going to do now? I had to start over. And so there was growth and, and development, interpersonal development. Nothing grows you faster than realizing you got to feed a family of five. I had a wife and three you know, small children. And when you have $215.44 in one account, that's supposed to get groceries and you have $805 in the bills account, but you need about 2000 and you're kind of like, well, where's that money going to come from? So there's nothing like back against the wall to kind of figure out what you made up. And so as I found my way back and figured out what I would do and what I was good at, it kind of helped to develop into what is now the business I have that we started around e-commerce. E-commerce kind of saved my life, saved my business, saved everything uh, because it gave me the opportunity really to create that lifestyle business which was, I know I need to focus on my family. I know that's where my top priorities are. I know that everything that just failed was because I was focusing too much on the world, too much on self-gain, too much on pride, too much on all these things. And eventually it failed me big time. And so what I needed to do was focus on family and life first and then figure out a way to make that work. E-commerce became the road map to allowing that to happen. And it started by flipping products on Amazon. Just literally finding something to sell, it's flipping it on Amazon for a product, what's referred to as arbitrage. At that point, it was finding products on different websites, uh, deals, and some overrun for products. We started with some supplements because my friend who eventually is, became my business partner, he had a connection, you heard his whole story, who, you know, had this product opportunity and he's like, well, we have an overrun of maybe like 500 bottles they can't use. If you can come up with a label, we can get you know, this product branded to you and you could start selling this product. And we're like, yeah, let's try that. Um, and so it was just trial and error. Like it was just like, let's see how we worked. And we went to Amazon first because we knew there was traffic. We knew there were people buying. Amazon's just a big buying portal. Anything to all people in 30 seconds or less was their motto. So we're like, well, there's got to be something to this. And this was 10 years ago. And we're like, well, okay. So the first series of products sold. They sold really fast. We're like, oh man, we got, there's something here. And so we just dug into it. And as business people who had grown businesses, big businesses and had failures and stuff, we knew how to create business. My business partner knew how to create business. He was the, he's the, you know, detail analytical oriented guy. He's not me. He is the process flowing, you know, management consultant by trade. He, he's never worked a job in his life. You know, he's had businesses. He's, he's two languages. He's, I think he has an MBA, if I'm not mistaken. He's a super, super smart guy. He likes processes and systems and operations. I'm in the marketing. I'm on the business side. I was the guy who could figure it out along the way on the business side, et cetera. But that was not my deal. So we kind of made one person, which is kind of cool. So we put our heads together and we started to figure out, you know, branding and building products that we own instead of flipping somebody else's products. And we started launching our own brands. We figured out Amazon liked that more because it would give us more traffic inside. And we said, there's gotta be something to this. So we started building more brands and more brands. Well, I mean, 10 plus years later, we've done more than half a billion in collective sales between ourselves and our clients, we kind of figured out the Amazon channel. We moved into retail channels and moved into other marketplaces and gone omni-channel beyond Amazon. So more of a holistic, full e-commerce kind of thing, but we started on Amazon. And so we start brands on Amazon and then we grow from there. And the last 10 plus years of my life, I'm really focused on 
brand development, business development, launching and growing, scaling, exiting, and now acquiring those brands into our portfolios and or raising up companies that we have an interest in or a, a non-controlling interest in the person building them. And then out to 36 months, we'll look to acquire that company off mark when it's inside of our network. So we kind of built a boutique business that allows a lifestyle. He lives in Idaho. I'm out in Missouri. Our VA is in Florida, distributed team all over the world. We were Zooming before Zooming was cool. And it allows the freedom of travel and the freedom of non-restriction and the ability to go and do what we want or not travel if we don't want to, or take the family down for a month and you know, to Florida and hang out at the beach while still doing business because I don't have a warehouse full of products. I don't have employees. I don't have any of that stuff. Amazon system or me handles that through multiple channels. So I don't have to, you know, really work with that infrastructure other than just logistics and management oversight. I think to anybody starting out and even to me who's been in the online space for quite a while, it's very inspiring because you have been in this industry for so long, the online space for so long. It, it's really interesting to hear what your journey has looked like. And so in you saying that, it actually makes me think. And I've thought about this many times and mm -hmm. I still, I will always pick myself for this. I remember, and that's why I think it's so amazing that you saw that there was an opportunity first with Amazon and then to get off of Amazon and to do e-com in other areas online. Maybe that's like Shopify, building out your own website, sure. whatever that may look like. I like that you had that entrepreneurial mindset is how I would see it. Maybe you didn't see it that way at the time, but because sure. I remember this was probably eight years ago, I want to say I was looking for a waterproof laptop case and nowhere online could I find this waterproof laptop case. My friend had just destroyed her laptop because her water bottle opened in her bag and her laptop Oops. was fried. So I realized, okay, if I want to protect, you know, I have a good MacBook, I want to protect it, I should get a case that's waterproof. And I looked all over the internet, you know exactly what I'm going to say, for this stupid waterproof case. I looked on Amazon, it was not on Amazon. And so I thought, I guess I can't find it anywhere. And I think I just went without a waterproof laptop case. And now looking back and now being an entrepreneur, which I will say I'm definitely not the type who was born entrepreneurial, who had that mindset. It's definitely something I've had to grow and to learn about throughout this journey of mine. But I now kick myself because that was such a great time to be on Amazon. You know, phone cases were just starting to get popular on Amazon. There was not much. And so that really is a reflecting point for me. You, you know, know one of those, some of the stats I know about that then, because I have at least one friend I know who's doing about 6,000 units of cell phone cases on Amazon a day. Wow. So, it's, it's, yeah. it's an interesting opportunity. No, because opportunity presents itself with a little bit of luck. And then, of course, there's a little bit of risk in that moment. The luck is the opportunity that you even get presented with. And the risk is that you yeah. decide not to turn it down. So when that is presented, we don't always have the mindset available to take that opportunity. It could be a limiting, could be a familia, could be that we don't feel we have an entrepreneurial spirit because maybe someone in our family or friend or whatever does, isn't an entrepreneur and I don't really know anybody. Or maybe I know somebody, but it seems kind of odd because I don't idea what they do. I didn't grow up in that either. I grew up in a blue collar home. Dad was a hard worker. He even worked third shift. So a portion of my life, I didn't see him in between him coming and going and sleeping when I was going to school and going back. And I see him on the weekends, kind of strange, right? But my opportunity also came that my uncle was an entrepreneur is more of a a risk taker, kind of a free spirit, if you will. And he started a business in building boats in San Diego. And I got to kind of watch that evolve and his person evolve and the way he thought was different. And I would now be able to say that that was my own kind of, in my own way, a rich dad, poor dad experience. 
because that business took off and did very well and, and made him a lot of money and he eventually sold it because he did very well with those boats. He innovated some really unique boat designs and one of them set the record between San Diego and Hawaii. So he got a kind of bit of a notoriety in the, in the boat building business, which kind of launched him into other things and connections and networks. So for a while there, he was a mentor to me and just you know, spirit and mindset and talking and thinking about things differently and the way he thought about money and business and risk and connections and network. That was all new. That was just expanding my mind into what it was possibilities of entrepreneurialism because remember i was going to be a fighter pilot and i went to school to try to figure out what to become and that's not very entrepreneurial so i you know it wasn't until i was willing to risk it later on where i was like okay you know i'm going to figure out what this entrepreneurial thing is and that is just taking the risk to never go back to a corporate job again and saying i'm gonna figure this out right i mean it didn't you could say it was a failure to some degree but again 15 years on my own, multiple businesses and success and multiple operations now running with my company. It's my own version of success. And mainly it's because I'm not a slave to anybody else at this point. Free to do what I want, free to do what I work. I now have my fun people in profit mantra, right? I'm going to have fun in this business because I think it's fun. Stayed in it for a long time. There's so much opportunity to invent and create and develop new things. And it's exciting to get people to buy it and see it working. It's a lot of fun. And then I get a little bored, so I want to go do it again. So I can go repeat that model within this model and I can let that, you know, ADHD creative guy that loves the music and jazz and free flow, that is me create and do things and develop ideas in my, in my space, which gives me that freedom to do that without having to go off into some other completely and keep building within what's working. And that's what I finally realized as an entrepreneur, what I discovered was you actually become a business owner when you figure out what it is you have fun and what people you enjoy and how you gain personal profit. That could be spiritual, physical, financial, emotional. And out of that comes the bottom tier, which is actual profit, the money you make because those endeavors are, are being blessed or they're being fun when you're enjoying them and then you get paid to do it. And sometimes you look up and you're like, this is my life. This is my job. This is how I get paid. That's kind of crazy because you're having fun. You're enjoying it. Then you have good people. And of course, you're making money. That's what we kind of want to strive for. But you don't just go there. You fail up, you fail it down, you fail across. But one thing you don't do is fail out. So I never gave up. And that's one of the things that hopefully somebody gets from this story. Why me versus somebody else was like privileged in this way? No, I didn't have the money. I, when I wanted money, I had to go hustle job, yard jobs and lawn bowling to make the extra money I need because well, my dad was a very hardworking, honest guy and, and just have been full of integrity. He's 81 now, lives up the hill from us. I can see him every day if I want. He was just not a guy that knew a lot about business. He didn't know a lot about finances, didn't know a lot about money and investing or any of these kinds of things, but he provided enough that we needed. If I wanted anything, I had to go get it. And so that work ethic led me to say, well, you know, I need to mow more lawns if I want to make some more money or if I want to go hang out with my friends. I had to learn these kinds of conditional traits that were installed in that process because it wasn't natural. You're not born an entrepreneur. I think less than probably one half of 1% of people are born entrepreneurial. We are conditioned and trained through our environment, through our stress, through our fears, through overcoming those fears, through rejections, through troubles, even bankruptcy and other things to become successful as an entrepreneur and then start calling yourself a business owner. Because once entrepreneurial works its way through a process of making money and fun and people and profit, the outcome is you now have a business. You're no longer entrepreneurial. You're a business owner. And in that business, you may do entrepreneurial things, but honestly, you stay in that same framework. You just do new things within it to open new revenue streams. You open four, five, six, seven new revenue streams in that area of your primary focus by being entrepreneurial in that focus, then you're really a business owner at the end of the day. I really appreciate you saying that because I think everything you just said is 
very important because I think it's it's very easy to see people like yourself who have great success, but not see, of course, who is going to see the last decade or longer of work that you put in. So I think it is very important. Those who were still with me who didn't chastise me and tell me I was stupid because what I was doing was not. I mean, I have people like you're such an idiot. Good job. You're a loser. You're not taking care of your family. What are you doing? This is so dumb. I had the world crushing me in my confidence and stuff. But what I, I, I had that many others maybe don't at times, or maybe somebody listening to this does, I had a very strong support work in my wife. And she said, you know what? I got this. We're going to be just fine. I'm not going anywhere. Do what you need to do. And gave me the freedom to do what I needed to do without question to create and put trust in me in that way. And with that support group, I was able to go out and be more bold and do the things I needed to do. If she wasn't my ride or die partner in that, if she was critical of any of that, if she would try to tried to stop me from doing that or criticize any activities of that, it would have failed because I didn't have the support network around. And that's really yeah. critical. I think you understand because now I truly understand that three to five people who are the closest to you will impact you the greatest in life. And if you got three to five people who are like, well, business is dumb and no one makes any money and all internet things are a scam and you, know, no, you need to get a job, you need to go to school, you need to get these things, you know, you're not going to be successful if you don't do those things, then they're putting a lot of limiting beliefs on you that aren't necessarily yours to own because you may have the opportunity to break that generational thing. You might have the opportunity to pass that while my father broke the generational curse of his father that he didn't even know. He gave me the opportunity to step on something strong that gave me the opportunity to go out and risk and leverage things that I never would have had to otherwise. I think that is something really important to note within being an entrepreneur and a business owner. And what you said about the three to five people closest to you, I completely agree with that. And I think it's also really important to note that within any entrepreneurial journey, you're going to lose a lot of people along the way. I know I have. I'm sure you have as well. I actually see that as, and I'm sure you do as well. I see that as a benefit. And I think that can be something that is very hindering in the beginning because your life is changing so much and there's so much growth. And sometimes it's, it's almost too much change that you are not used to and you've never experienced before more than you can handle. But looking back on the journey, and I'm sure maybe you feel the same way, such a blessing in disguise. So well, it really is. And you know what? If I were to sit down and say, oh, I knew how that was all going to end. That's why I was so stubborn. That's a lie. I was so stubborn because I'm just inherently stubborn. And I don't like people to tell me no. Right? Because if their no is a no, I've always questioned, is it a K-N-O-W or is it a no? And until you give me a yeah. little no, then it's technically a K-N-O-W. Which means there's something mm-hmm. in there that I can figure out or work. And that's just my, that is an ingrained personality of who I am. I don't like to be told no. And if someone tells me, I know you can't do this, then I'm going to try to prove them wrong. Like it or not, or it's good or bad, or to the detriment of myself personally or whatever, I'm going to go make it work. I'm going to figure it out. Tenacity is just a natural ingrained personal behavior that I have. And that's cool. I like that as a God can, you know, granted gift. Not everybody has that. Sometimes that has to be learned. But having four daughters, having homeschooled them for the last decade and having watched them build as people in my oldest is going to turn 15 and and my youngest is 10, we spent them all together in four and a half years, I can tell you that no one gains opportunity, growth, and strength as a person more than having children. Children were meant for us to grow, gain, and understand, and build wisdom and discernment. And without that, it's very hard to explain how personal growth or even entrepreneurial growth can be attained without you being able to move beyond yourself and put yourself in a servant leadership position. And if you can move yourself into that servant leadership position, and frankly, the fastest way I felt that it ever would have been done was having four children in four and a half years 
because you are nothing but a servant, right? You are a servant 24 7, 365. And then when some of them have medical issues, you become another level of servant to them because you are trying to help them, trying to fix it. And then, you know, if your wife gets sick, you got to deal with that too. And then when all that comes around and you're trying to fix all of that, you know, where's there left time for you and all of that? Pretty much when you're sleeping. So the rest of this is like just running all the time. But that also builds character and it builds tenacity and perseverance. And then in the business, those are the main character traits of winners. Because I've taught 19-year-old high school dropouts and 79-year-old grandmas to sell online. So if there's a limiting belief that you can't do it because of life, history, location, geography, gender, whatever you want to call it, that's actually just a limiting belief, most likely from a conditional belief in your, in your familia, your family with origin. And that can all be changed if you choose to change it, right? Because it's going to be a matter of whether or not you want it bad enough to go get it. And if you understand you're serving something greater than yourself in that process, then the outcome is going to be more beneficial to you. Find someone to serve, serve them with authenticity. Okay. And serve them in a way in which is worth a monetary value and have fun doing it. And you literally can't lose. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And work freaking hard along the way. So <laughs> the work ethic. sometimes a little too much. I'm sure we've all experienced that, but Absolutely. let's chat about FBA and e-com. Now I'm curious what does, whether it was your journey or the typical process that you guide people through now, what does it look like to get started within the e-com industry and to scale? And then maybe do you build to exit? What does that look like now? Yeah, great question. So there are four components I'll go through here real quick. And that is profitability first, which is going to start with the question, what the heck do I sell and who do I sell it to? And how can I make money selling it to that person I've discovered? And then there is growth. Growth means that I have actually launched the business. Business, by the way, doesn't start until revenue starts. You can say you started a business, but until you start making sales, you don't actually have a company yet. So the business starts with revenue and that starts growth. From growth should come profitability. And that sounds a little inverse, but you can look at the profitability of products in your business or your real estate deal or any kind of thing you're doing, but until you sell it and deliver it or actually have it, will you not find the final profitability of that? And from there, you then understand how you pay yourself, how you pay other people, how you pay your marketing, how you actually go in growth mode. Growth mode can be for a long time, depending upon the size and scope of your market. From growth of your product or products portfolio, at least within e you're going to have multiple products that, in, that give you the capacity for growth. But growth and scale are two different things. There can be scale within a single channel. There can be scale within multiple channels. There can be scale in a vertical, but there can be scale horizontal in your brand or business development as well. This is where experience can only show you and walk you down that path because anybody didn't quite get everything I just said. There's a little ambiguity in what all of the differences and nuances of that meet, right? And only experience will help you discern what that actually looks like. But scale doesn't just mean I'm hitting eight figures because I have seen people hit six, seven, and eight figures with no profitability, okay? They're either laden with debt or take too much out of the company that they can't pay themselves enough to really keep it going. So who's making all the money? It's the Amazon and the vendor of the product. And they're kind of just acting as a low-level middleman, which is not a whole lot of fun at all. So we want to go from growth to scale with a foundation of profitability behind it. That way that you can understand the concept that a business is worth more in the end than at any time during the business building phase. As we launch with profitability and grow with profitability, we're now building an asset that has intrinsic value 
And that intrinsic value is the profit and worth of the intellectual property and the profits in the business. And that gives you an opportunity beyond 36 months to sell that company for anywhere between three to 10x the profits in that company. The more profitable it is, the higher the valuation of the exit of that company. So Voltage builds and launches and scales these companies. We both acquire and exit them. And within 36 months, if they're within our community building under our processes, we'll give them an off-market offer, so there's no broker fees, to acquire that business into our portfolio. We either bring them in as a operator owner, as a percentage to continue to grow to the next level of exit, or we will remove them as an owner and bring in our own operator. And then we elevate that business to the next level of opportunity, channel, omni-channel, whatever opportunity for growth there is, additional product lines, retail, and other things. And then we'll exit it to a larger portfolio. So there's kind of a triple win scenario going on here. The win is the opportunity, systems, processes, technology, and experience that we let our clients work with. And we're a management consulting firm, just to be very clear. We are not a like programming course. There's a lot of that nonsense on the web, throwing out hopium, this and that, and 30 days to a million dollars and all this nonsense. Yeah, 30 days to a million dollars, but it took 15 years to get there. It's an overnight success, right? That's and really, whole... like you said, there's no profit in that million dollars. This, uh, you know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense if I spent $900,000 to get a million dollar business and netted $100,000 before taxes. Okay, so now you're not really doing anything but making a job. Right. And whoever's moving that product, you're making them really happy. You're not making yourself happy. What's happy to me as a business doing 25 to 30% upwards of 40% profit margins on physical products and brands that have organic and intrinsic growth in them. Then you have opportunity to pay yourself, cash flow the business for growth, open additional channels of opportunity and grow it out. It really starts with the products. It's a lot about the products. So the question that we always ask is, you know, what the heck do I sell? And that's a product of conditioning and training to move you away from the way you've been consuming products now into the way that you actually sell and develop and buy products for selling, which is another kind of mindset of conditioning. But it is a training and learning and conditioning. If I ask you right now, what's your favorite color car? What would that be? Black. Black. So how many, what, what kind of car? Do you have a car? Because you're traveling all the time, so I suspect you probably don't unless it's sitting somewhere parked. I own one suitcase and that yeah. is it. So when you Uber, do you prefer the black cars, I guess? Honestly, no car. I'm no. not a car person, but I do look at black shiny SUVs and I think they're beautiful. Okay, black shiny SUVs. Thank you for that. So when you see a particular black shiny SUV, is it like a, maybe a Yukon or a Cadillac or you're like, you want the Escalade? Is it like a Toyota? Like which one kind of like, do you have any idea or just black shiny black shiny let's, SUV? Let's say Escalade for this. Okay, example. so big black shiny Escalade. How many of those do you normally see during your travels? Probably not too, too many, but they do come up. I feel like other types of cars are more common. Have you ever maybe recognized one and then all of a sudden, maybe later that day or later on, you see another one? And it mm, seems to yeah. they kind of start to appear to you. Like, oh, you saw this one earlier. I didn't see that one. Or, or maybe it's just a combination of patterns. Maybe it's a dress you have and then you see another girl wearing the dress and you're like, hey, that's a cool dress. I want like that. And then maybe you oh, see yeah. two more ladies later on in the week who have the same dress. And you're like, hey, wait a second. I saw that dress this week. You are moving subconscious environmental aspects of your life that are always being recorded 24-7, even if you can't recall it, into a conscious mind state. Moving subconscious into conscious. When you start focusing brain and energy on a specific focus, you will then be able to move it into a conscious focus, and conscious focus begins training and conditioning. If you can go through exercises to train and train and condition yourself, to start recognizing your white cars or black SUVs as you go along, you will start seeing more and more of them. 
you will not necessarily see them in your visual perception, but your mind will bring them to your attention. And then they will start showing up all over the place. Have you ever had that happen in another experience, another place? Yeah, yeah I can't think of exactly what it is right now, but I know that's but you've happened. had the experience, right? And the experience just means that your conscious mind is now making you aware of an environmental thing that's occurring or an object in your environment that you just didn't see before, but all of a sudden you see it. When you go through a process of exercising that brain and training that brain products, product opportunities start appearing everywhere. And you start seeing them as opportunities for you to sell those products. So one of the things I have people do here in this exercise, if they're listening to this, is go, if you have an Amazon app on your phone and, and you're in the United States, for example, go into the app and start looking at the last 90 days of your purchase history. And just look at what you bought and ask yourself, why did I buy this? What was the outcome? What was the purpose? Was there a solution that I was looking for? And then realize that more than 60% of those products that you bought are from third-party sellers from Amazon, which means that it's very possible for you to sell one of those. If you angle that first-level analysis towards a higher price point, more than $30 in retail price point, and you also ask yourself, was there a solution to this product? Do I like it? Do I just want it? Have I been looking at it for a while? Did Sally tell me last week she got one of these to help her son at school? And I'm like, well, now I need one of those, right? Was there a conditioning or environmental thing that occurred that got a solution in which you were willing to pay maybe a little more for that product, even though you knew another one existed that was a little cheaper? Ask yourself, why did you buy that product? Start conditioning yourself to look for products that are closer to $50 to $300 retail range and start asking yourself, what was the solution? What was the point? Why did I buy that? If you can come up to an avatar profiling level, can you say, well, I know a sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, my Mo, my significant other, my partner, whatever. Are they fitting that kind of profile? Could they buy one of these? Have they bought one? Do I see a pattern of behavior here? And if I do, can I start profiling that into a conversation that says, well, Nicole likes to cook. She also likes to travel. So when she's cooking, she usually looks for places she can stay where she can cook her own food. She also doesn't like certain cookware, but she likes certain things. And if that preference, she'd probably drive a you know, black Cadillac Escalade to get to her Airbnb. So now I kind of get a profile of who she is and what she's buying. She most likely has an iPhone instead of an Android. And she most likely used certain kinds of apps and certain kinds of behavioral patterns in her purchasing, certain types of hair products. Maybe she goes above one or other. She's probably not a person that shops at Walmart because when she travels a lot, they're just not available everywhere. So she usually goes to wherever's local and asks them what's the best place to go get X. And then she goes and finds it. Am I getting am I far off here? No, that's pretty accurate. So the end game here is that I can start profiling you, not in a negative way, but in a positive way of understanding who you are, what you do, and the conditions of your behavior and attitude. So that I know if there is something I can put in front of you that provides an innovative solution against something you might have already bought or something you might buy, and I can start conditioning myself to put those products out there and test them, then I'm not starting to ask the question what the heck to sell and who to sell it to. Now I just need to test it. And to test it, I need to know is profitable. And if it's profitable, I got to go buy the numbers. I got to literally account for Amazon fees, costs, products, et cetera. I need to look at the numbers. Real business people are going to track and measure things. But you need to go through a process of evaluating that's profitable. For us, we want no less than $10 in profit per unit sold that comes to my bank account for every unit sold. That's after Amazon cost, fees, taxes, Operating costs, cost of goods, all that marketing and other things that go in. I want $10 in profit to me so that I can also order another product while still maintaining my $10 in profit. If I can meet that metric for a product, I'm now getting closer to my target product type, which is going to give me the opportunity for marketing and growth the next level. Does that make sense? 
That makes so much sense. And it's so interesting everything you're saying, because it sounds like you're basically reverse engineering all of these processes. Correct. Yep. And then systematizing them so they're repeatable, which is important in business. Mm -hmm. And systemized, you know, systemized processes can be repeatable by people beyond myself, which is why I've been able to help quite a few people over the last 10 years. Most recently, one of our guys is going to be hitting about eight figures in 36 months. And I've had somebody hit five million a month in eight months. So the process is more than documented and vetted beyond me. It's just a process of repetition through these questions, answers, conditioning, testing, and developing products, and then test marketing them. Okay. So the next one is again, don't marry my products, steal someone else's girlfriend instead. So as I'm evaluating those products and I'm looking at the market, what I'm, what I'm doing in my mind is I'm saying, is there a similar product that brings familiarity to the product type or interest or solution that I'm after? And can I trust where I'm buying it from? And that's the question that Amazon sort of answers for, right? Through Amazon's mechanism of trust, possible return process if necessary, I know that the product will be delivered to me. I know I'm going to probably get a pretty good product if I do a great job, and it should be the product that answers my solution problem. So similarity plus familiarity equals trust, which means I'm not going to be looking for products that I can innovate in the market, not invent, but innovate. So I'm actually looking for five to 10, upwards of 15 competitors in the market who I'm going to innovate against with a new product spin idea or differentiation. And then it's going to become part of my IP. If it's different enough for me to innovate it, I can re-register it on Amazon, which is a level of protection. It also gives me seller capabilities and marketing and branding capabilities that I don't get unless I'm a business who registers a brand, very important. And then I'm going to have the opportunity to trademark that brand. So it becomes one more level of my IP. And if this product does really good, let's say I test launch and it does really good, can I do a patent pending on that product? Don't need to go all the way through patent. I have a patent. It's a very expensive patent. Totally worthless because it's never going to enter the market because I went way too far down the patent hole. And that's when I learned that innovation is much better over invention. And I'm going to innovate that product differentiation in the market. And I go sell it to a market that's already buying it. I'm just going to simply put it out in front. I'm going to compete because competition is actually good. Don't want is saturation. Don't want is a product that is where I call Amazon's mosh pit. And that's like the sub 30. And that's like where all the people are banging into each other. And you don't want to be down in the pit with a sweaty six foot four biker who's banging up against you and sweating on you. And that's just a nasty place to fight. And that's where a lot of Amazon sellers end up because that's about 94% of the products you'll sell on Amazon. So there are about 6% of the products that we target with our metrics and identifying the conditions of the numbers and the profitability and the marketability and the upside potential where I can actually come in, compete and raise my price to a higher level of affinity than the market and then start overtaking them by buying more of their market share away from them. My strategy is to go in and dominate them through pricing and marketing. And if I can do that and I see that working, I now know I have a longevity in business. I have a growth opportunity. And by the way, I know with the competition, it now means I have hundreds to thousands of products, thousands of products that I can launch in a never-ending product research, development, testing, launching. So I actually become a portfolio of products, anywhere up to 50 to 100 SKUs in my brand that are all selling in the marketplace, offering varieties of opportunities for Nicole who likes these kinds of things. So I want her to buy five or six versions of different products I own over the course of 12 months. So she'll spend at least $1,000 with me in a 12-month period. And that's my target metric. Why? Because if you're a prime member of the 200 million Amazon Prime members, you're spending an average of $1,000 a year. So I just take my business metrics, I align them with Amazon, 
And Amazon's already delivering that mechanism to the customer, their customer. So I just want to get in line with that. And if I get in line with it, I'm not fighting the system. If I'm arbitraging, wholesaling, retail, you know, shop your way to wealth, clearance, selling, flipping products, I'm actually fighting Amazon's system. And then this way, I'm actually doing business with their system. And they'll give us partner reps and they'll give us brand accountability managers and they'll help us open new markets and they'll give us beta access to things and they'll resolve problems for us if we have bigger problems. We actually work with them. Totally different model. And then we can multi-channel and grow it later. But it's this big filing system. It's really what it gets down to. And by the way, it's AI. I know everybody's so like, woohoo, AI. Like I was working on AI at the, you know, 15 plus years ago at IBM. AI is not, AI is not. Most of the systems we would power on up until this new thing were all AI driven. All of it. Literally. Amazon's just a big filing search engine of AI-based system, latent, semantic, and knowledge-based learning that's trying to determine what product to give to Nicole as fast as 30 seconds are possible so she'll buy it. And it's learning about all your data points. And it's building billions of data points behind your profile. And then it's giving you all the products that will get to you just in time that you're wanting to buy and buy more of. And then it constantly repeats that process. And they split test that like 1,200 times a year. And then they get this really amazing economic system working. Okay, like the sixth largest logistical company now in the world with planes and their own train boxes and their own shipping now and like their own, you know, big shipping containers and so much infrastructure. It's huge, right? So I don't have to go build all that. I can leverage that. And that's my opportunity. So that's my risk. And this big filing system is a search engine. It's the third largest in the world. So they are searching by keywords. They're searching for, you know, 12 wine, wine racks, 12 bottle wine racks. They're searching for kitchen towels. They're searching for, you know, balloon gifts or whatever. They're searching. And so were you most likely. And our goal is to get our product up at the top into that search engine. And that's keyword driven. Okay, it's a big keyword search engine. There's a big AI system. And when you know how to play with it, you can get your products up to page one, right? And up there is where a lot of the sales go. And I can go very fast, very big. And when you do it right with marketing campaigns inside of Amazon, we can rank those products up there and keep them there for years, right? Evergreen, blue sprint products for years. And if it starts to go down a little on the product, if it becomes a little saturated by, you know, a number of extra sellers or the market changes, well, guess what? Reinvent that product a little bit and relaunch it into the market. And guess what happens? It starts selling and it starts going back up again. So there's a lot of different strategies, but the whole thing is wrapped up in what I call my platinum principle. And that is building an actual business of intrinsic value, not a side hustle or a hobby business but actually putting the time, energy, attention, and money, the team effort into actually building a company that has intrinsic value. We're three to 10X your profits in 36 months. And with all that knowledge and capital, go right back in and do it again, even faster, right? So that everybody's like, why do you sell it? Last question, I'll answer for you because I'm going on a tangent. But the last question, why would you sell that business if it's doing so well? Because they're cash flowing, it's profitable, and I'm growing it. Why would I sell the business? There's no real economies of scale because of their infrastructure. So I don't need employees in warehouses. And you have one and two man operations running eight your companies. So with that opportunity comes the opportunity to leverage that asset and capital back into the market. And it's economics 101. Inflation today, okay, is worse than inflation tomorrow. At the end of the day, if I sell that company today after 36 months, I can regain up to 36 months worth of profits back at time of sale. So I basically get three years back and then I can go do it again. So in the next three years, I can be building a new company to repeat that process with more capital and knowledge faster. The money that I get back then is worth that money today, not worth what it would be in three years when I'm hanging on to it, which is right now an inflationary problem. And I can put that money back to work. 
I can even take some of it and put it back into work in other assets, maybe other passive income assets like real estate or other brokerage, and then still go back and build more e-commerce. And that's the model that we follow to grow and scale these businesses. It's so interesting to hear everything you've learned and then everything that you have now built a framework around to get people to where you are. What is something that you would tell people to close off this episode? I know you probably have a million different things, so I'm going to keep that very open. Well, in simple terms, no matter what you do, okay, whether you want to get involved in e-commerce, start a business, grow a business, if you're going to do real estate or you want to go do other investments of some kind or, you know, you're building a, an electric company <laughs> with electricians and plumbers. The fact of the matter is you could sit here and think your way all around it a million different times about the risk, possibilities, the timing, the money, the energy, the effort, the family, or all these other things. But in actuality, that is all time wasted in trial. Do not take action and don't take the first step. None of that will ever become a reality. So the first thing you got to do is get off the couch, quit your limiting beliefs, and go try. If failure is your biggest fear, then you've already failed because you didn't begin. So if you're going to fail at something, fail up, don't fail out. Don't give up on the first product doesn't work. Don't give up on the first real estate deal doesn't make you a lifetime of income. Don't go to business thinking about lottery mindset mentalities and hopium dreams. Go into it realizing that it is a process. It's a daily, weekly, monthly series of problem solving. That's what most businesses are, is solving problems. Solving them for yourself and your business or the, for the people whose products or services you're delivering. Find somebody that you enjoy working with fun in what you're doing, and there will be more personal, interpersonal profit and financial profit, which you ultimately want. Stack it in the right direction, and then you will never want for money ever again, because there's more money out there in abundance that you possibly shake a stick at. Which means most people's usual problem is, how do I actually deploy it? Where do I put it? Not do I have access to it, or can I get more? I hope anybody listening to this is feeling very inspired to just take that first action, whatever that looks like. I could just be, like you said, getting up off the couch, figuring out what your interest is. Maybe it's not in e-com online or maybe it is and you would have no idea until you try. But really just taking that first step, that's what I had to do years back. And it brought me here, which I never would have imagined six years ago that I would be sitting here talking to you in Paraguay. And so it really just compounds and builds on itself. But you have to take that action first. And so I think that this is a great testament to that. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode stuck out to you, I would appreciate if you take a screenshot and share this episode on your socials. Of course, be sure to tag me. Don't forget to leave a review for the podcast that seriously helps out the show and helps it out with discoverability. I would really appreciate you leaving a review, sharing on your socials if this episode truly stuck out to you, and I will see you in next week's episode.